Season three, ladies and gentlemen, of Chewing the Gristle is upon us. We've got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're going to let the good times roll. Are you ready to pound the gristle? We ride. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we have the mighty and epic Vernon Reed from the band Living Color, guitar player extraordinaire, writer of many epic riffs and songs. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Vernon Reed. Countdown. Yeah, right. <laughs> Kapow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, another installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery. I'm here with the mighty Vernon Reed of Living Color, someone I've looked up to for a long time, big fan of the band, and uh, I'm also a fan of your uh, uh, your your Twitter game is is quite robust. Oh, and I, thank and I, you, and, yeah. and, I, and I applaud you for it. So, how you doing? What's happening? Uh, how can I put it? Too much and not enough. <laughs> a lot, you know. I'm I'm actually I'm uh, going. Interestingly, you know, current events, I'm flying down to Atlanta tomorrow. Living Color is playing the Shaky Knees Festival uh-huh. uh, down, down in Atlanta. And um, and in fact, uh, we're sharing a bill with, with Wolfie Van Halen. Oh. Yeah, which is, which I, 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 I'm thrilled. We're going to, I think, get a chance to meet for the first time. I'm a huge fan of his Mammoth Project. I think it's, it's fantastic. I mean... You know, and and particularly, you know, in the shadow of, you know, uh, the, tra- the the tragic loss of his pops. But you know, right. I I am so thrilled with what Wolfgang is doing because he's he is his own man, a great player on on all of these different instruments, but fantastic vocalist, and um, he's got a a real. Um, He's he's about something, you know. He's 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 building this context that feels incredibly genuine to me, and uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan. So I'm looking forward to hearing the sad and looking forward to playing. It's a weird time to tour and do right. You know, it's it's a weird, it's unsettling. I I'm not completely. I mean, of course, it's work. I'm happy for it to happen, but um, it's also bananas. Right, absolutely. Well, we heard you a little bit at uh, Summerfest in Milwaukee here this past summer. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, of course, Summerfest is, you know, like every other festival has been adjusting because of, you know, COVID. Was it going to happen? Was it not going to happen? Then they moved it to instead of being, you know, 10 consecutive days in June and July, they mixed it to, you know, these several weekends in a row in September. So we had no idea who was going to be there. So we're driving in. And we hear you guys, and uh, we're like, I think that's living. And my son is a huge Living Color fan as well. He's like, oh, my God. And then he checked out the whole show. And you guys sounded so good. And not, 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 that, not that you wouldn't sound so good, but, you, you know, conversely, and I don't want to talk smack, Vernon, but, you know, we, we were opening up for ZZ Top, and I'm a huge ZZ Top fan. And um, a big Billy Gibbons fan, and of course, in the in light, of course, the tragedy of of Dusty mm, dying. I know it's a tough. But you know, it's a subject matter that I think is just an interesting one to address is the fact that 
I mean, I knew from years ago, uh, we had done a show where we were on the same build as ZZ Top, and we were kind of in a green room area, and um, and we were hearing their monitor mix, right? And they and they play along with ancillary tracks, and sometimes they're not singing the stuff. And you're like, okay, well, the average civilian doesn't know and doesn't care. They're experiencing it. And Billy's still playing, you know, and his stuff sounds great. But, but as a musician, I say to myself at that point, because I've seen and hearing you guys, and you guys sound fantastic. There, there's no, like, phoning it in. Not that I'm saying that they're phoning it in, but, you know, the context is different. And so many legacy acts, not that you guys, you know what I mean. What? No, uh, fine. We've been around, they, we've been around they, a while. Yeah. Uh, they play with ancillary tracks and so on and so forth to kind of have the listener experience the music in a way that they're expecting, as opposed to it used to be back in the day where mm -hmm. you couldn't wait to hear the live version of the band in whatever context they were in, because that was going to be a whole nother artistic expression, you know what I mean? As opposed to just a commodification that they're, that the civilian well, is expecting, you know what I mean? Well, this is, well, this is one of the big issues with music and the role that music plays in our lives collectively. I mean, it seems to me there was a time when the object of music, and music serves many different purposes. Like, obviously, there's just entertainment. Entertain, take my mind off my troubles. Right. And then there's music as almost the exact opposite in that, you know, like we're going to explore what's happening. We're going to music is going to explore what's happening. And that could be in an emotional sense, you know, an emotional sense. It, this is very funny because generally it's, it's divided between political and non-political acts, but that's not exactly right. I mean, even if someone's just singing about romance, right? There's a way that you feed what you're doing into the happy ending machine. Right. Right. And the happy ending machine lets you know that, you know, boy meets girl, you know, girl has baby and everything's right with the world. Right. That's patently false right. in human relations. Right. right. So if right. even an act that's only doing they don't do political music, they're doing music about romance. Well, you can either feed people pablum or you can go into the, the blood and guts of what it is. For man and man, woman and woman, man and man, kids, and you can go into the real blood and guts, the duplicity, the lies, the blah, 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 uh, you know what I mean, and, and go there. And certain acts go there. So there's experience, there's entertainment, you know, please keep me in a bubble and let me know that everything's going to be okay. Let me know that, you know, happily ever after, right? Or... Tell me what's happening, right? Tell me what's actually what's actually happening in life, the existential crisis of what living is. So that those spheres can be expanded to whatever subject, you know, because politics is the kind of thing that people just get upset about. Right, true. And it's almost people get upset with that as a kind of distraction from the other existential crises that they're, that they're dealing with life. Politics is always in the background. Boy meets girl. Does boy have job? Right. You know, <laughs> does, does, boy, does boy have job? Does, you know, does girl, does, does girl have a career? 
You know, does, you know, like, you know, whether or not boy or girl gets into the teacher college of their choice or whatever, whether boy or girl has to sling hash weight tables or other ignominious activities to put food on the table, that's social and political. Whether or not the family farm is going to be foreclosed upon, the circumstances by which the bank did the loan, all of those things, right? Right. Or, you know, but they, but what it is, is we put it in the background and we try to keep it in the background, but that's not, you know, that's always there. So <laughs> what does that have to do with playing the tracks? Okay. There was a time when music was seen as transformational. Right. Like the, the like music was a kind of ritual, a kind of ritual transformational event in one's life. Like you come in to the hall in one way and the band whatever the band is is going to deliver an experience that might change your mind about whatever right like anyone that saw hendrix at monterey pop you know and saw him set his guitar on fire a lot of those people change the direction of their lives. Like they like, you know, I'm going to medical school. I'm dropping out of medical school. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? That right. they, they're, cha- they're changing their major or they're dropping out of college or they get all together, or they're not going to do their daddy's business because they saw something that was so beyond the, whatever narrow dynamics. And that's one of the dangerous things about music. Music can, take us out of whatever dynamics, our safety zones, when it happens like that, whatever the style is, um, that's a powerful thing. And for some people in the audience, that's exactly what they needed. For other people in the audience, it's terribly threatening. It's it's like you've put, you've literally... I, you know, it's like when a man sees a really pretty woman. Why is a man, when they see a really pretty woman, why do they make an ugly face? You ever check that out? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. You know, and she's, if, if, not to objectify, but there, there's a funny thing about attraction, right? There's the weird thing because it's disruptive, because this situation, there's a, there's a level of it where it stays, it's pretty. It's pretty and it's nice and it's pleasing, but there's a level of it like, what I'm, am I gonna leave? But am I gonna leave my situation? It's like the preacher decides to run, <laughs> decides to run off. It's like somebody's confronted right. with the thing that literally says to, well, now that you've seen this and now you heard what you're gonna do. Right. It's the what you're gonna do, and most music isn't really trying to take people to what you're gonna do. Right. Really trying to keep it really narrow and really in, you know, we had a lovely evening and, you know, it was, we had a lovely time. And, and, and you know, I came, I was not threatened. Right. My, my, my existential crisis wasn't, you know, no, nobody, nobody disturbed me. Right. Right. Well, that's the, but, but, and, and you know what? And there is valid, you know, there's validity. They're highly trained, exceptionally talented and gifted musicians that that's what they do. They deliver, uh, wow, an impressive performance that essentially 
keeps people and everyone safe, right? Right, right. Well, there are other performers that that's not their role. Their role is to shake shit up, to right. shake, shake stuff up, and you deal with it. Like, shake this up, good luck. Right. <laughs> and, and, right. and, that, and that is a whole other focus. And some audience members, they deliver themselves. They, they need for that to happen. See, the part of the thing about the Grateful Dead, but people... You know, they, they people have been whatever about all different ways about the Grateful Dead. But great, the, part of the thing is the Grateful Dead would say, you know, you are the music, we're just the band. That's one of the things that Jerry Garcia is saying. You are the music, we're just the band. So we're the accompaniment to your transformation. We're going to go wherever we're going and... You're going to turn it into me. Your experience is like a, a kind of performance is a funny kind of contract. Like, on the one hand, what we hope for is for everybody to come in with an open mind and to just listen. But, of course, people come in already listening. Like, they already know what they want to hear. And it can become a kind of dead ritual where the band is pretending and the audience is pretending. And 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 that can I mean and weirdly that can work because we built a culture I mean we've turned it into an industry right we've turned right so I've had this thought recently about about Hendrix I'm not Hendrix obsessed but he's one I, of my I, heroes I am, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, and the and the thing about Jimi Hendrix is this I think. Jimi Hendrix should be seen through the lens of a writer like Joseph Campbell. Like Joseph Campbell talks about the hero's journey. And if you think about, literally consider what Jimi Hendrix did, going to, to, to London, you know, with a, essentially a stranger, like, like basically having worked in R&B bands, having worked in rock and roll bands, doing talent shows, you know what I mean? Um, being being the, you know, playing with the Isley Brothers, playing with Little Richard, you know, playing with Curtis Knight, playing with all these different people and having in his head things he could never explain to anyone. He could never explain that, that, that he's doing the, the things and doing the steps and doing whatever. And in fact, he's doing it with a little too much enthusiasm, which is why he got fired from a bunch of these gigs, right? Sure. right because right. rock and roll and rock and roll and R&B in particular are hierarchical. The right. singer is the cap of the capo. The singer is it. In fact, the singer's band is a reflection of the singer's taste. Like your excellence as a musician, back up, like you're a reflection of, you know, I hired that guy. You know right. that guy's playing? He's in my bed. He's in my bed. That's right. the thing. So you play as well as you can to reflect on the taste of the person that hired you. Right. Right? So the hierarchy stays in, in intact, right? But when you step out and you start to burn the stage up with your thing, you're going beyond the boundaries. You know what I mean? Right. You go, you go in a little bit. The saxophone player starts to, you know, starts doing their thing and the trumpet player, you know, hey, wait, hold up. You know what I mean? You're supposed to play some idiomatic things and get back in line, <laughs> go back to the section. Right. You know, 
and be thankful. And Jimi Hendrix, just like he would get his little 16 bars or eight bars and he would go to town and, you know, he would get the pink slip. Right. Because <laughs> you're doing too much. Right. But he's young and he can't help himself, you know? So when I think about all the things that he did in such a short amount of time, I mean, the idea of the guitar hero is is a, is a funny thing, but it literally, if I think of him from the standpoint of a Joseph Campbell, he really is was as one of the prototypical guitar heroes. He went on this journey. Well, I, I always, you know, when I talk about how I look at the guitar players of that generation, particularly Hendrix. Hendrix is in a kind of a category of his own. But, you know, Cream era Clapton, I would put right there, you know. Um, you know, certainly uh, Page early on, you know, Bloomfield, all those guys in that in that particular uh, generation of stuff. But with it was almost as if they were on, you know, as you said, Joseph, there's, there was a metaphysical thing going on. You know what I mean? They were they were on a journey to find out the higher truth and music was the vehicle. And maybe it was and maybe it was exacerbated by the like psychedelics, you know. I, you, you, but then, it got, of course, it went to the other side where, you know, it, it got diluted. But I think the initial... The initial uh, trek there probably is what bore fruit. That's why they all burned out. They were like burning so hot, and then they over, they overdid it. But be that as it may, where is it like the guitar heroes that came afterwards? It's like you know, and 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 you know, I had the first three Van Halen records, but I was you know, I grew up listening to all the stuff my brother had, who was like fifteen years older than I was. So it was all Hendrix and you know, Cream and Stones and all that kind of stuff. And I just I didn't get into the Shredder thing per se at the time because of the fact that I. I didn't see the same intention. You know what I mean? Not to be, you know, and, and of course I was a, more of a jag about it back in the day, but now I, I appreciate it all. But there just seemed, it was all about, you know, the guys back then, it was like, yeah, they were on the search and the chicks and the drugs and the party and all that kind of stuff were just kind of like sideshows to the track. Whereas it, it seemed like, no, that was that was the intention of the latter folk. You know what I mean? That it was it was all about the chicks and the lifestyle and the in the limousines. It became an industry. It became an industry. It became something to do. I mean, the early pioneers of that whole situation, they were literally were making it up as they went along. They were making up like sound reinforcement. Right. Like sound reinforcement evolved because they had to get the voices over the music. The music was getting louder and louder. The amplifiers would become more powerful. And they were using bandmaster PAs. It simply wasn't on. And then plugging plugging the microphones into amplifiers was horrendous. And then suddenly the engineers, the people who, it's funny, it evolved because people were looking and said, well, let's think about it. And they started to change the public address systems and the public address systems became sound reinforcement. I mean, basically, when they went into the Santa Monica Civic Center back in the day, they literally used the public address system that was there. And the amps were louder than the public address systems. And then eventually, you know, again, Grateful Dead was was very much involved in the evolution of sound reinforcement. So all of these things evolved lighting. You know, light, light, lighting 
took on a whole, the whole idea of we want to imitate, we want the audience to experience an acid trip without having to be dosed. You, you know what I mean? They used to run projectors. They they start, I mean, early on, they did this whole thing with multiple screens. They're running analog projectors, running snippets of movies so that it was this really sens- sens- sensational sensorium. You know what I mean? And it was all really ragtag. You know, it was all really, really, you know, it could go wrong. It could go wrong at any moment. And that was the, people were having these moments and these experiences that were galvanizing. You know, the audience was not that far removed from the star, even though the star on stage, the person with talent, there was a sense that the person with talent emerged out of the audience. You know, Jimi Hendrix was a paratrooper. So when he did Machine Gun, he was relating, that's why Jimi Hendrix was beloved by Vietnam veterans. He he just happened to do his service before they escalated the war, and him and Billy Cox would have been on, they would have they would have been sent to Da Nang, right? right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That didn't happen. And he even even with, you know, he was considered this hippie avatar. He was very ambivalent about the hippies. Uh, you could hear that. If six was nine, now he wasn't against the hippies. He was cool with it, but he was, he never abjured his military service. His father was a veteran, father for World War II. So all, so all of that, he, his connection, when he says evil men make me kill you, evil men make you kill me, you know, even though we're only families apart, that's a profound, that's a profound observation. And he, so he's connecting, you know, He's connecting with people that's not with the war, but he's he is connected with the grunt in the ground. And that that machine gun from the second set is the most ter- one of the most terrifying pieces of music I ever experienced. Like, cause I heard it in the dark of my parents' basement, and I was forced to walk into a. I bought a record, and I'm walking in a rice paddy. I didn't buy a record. <laughs> That bullet's whizzing past my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and and, and but of course it's also fa- it was fantastic. It changed, you know, it changed that experience. And then my experience, I was too young for any of all that. It changed my life. And I'm thinking people that actually knew what that was directly, I can only imagine the effect. Hearing that in a room in real time. It's just, it's un, it literally is unthinkable because some part of that lived in the recording, which is which is a miracle in and of itself. It's 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 kind of it's it's funny, man. It changed, it grew, and it's it's become this, it's become massive. It's become a kind of factory operation. And it's become an industry. I mean, and, and it's a bunch, it's a, it's actually, it's a bunch of interlocking industries. It's, you know, and, um, and the question ultimately is what is it for? What is it, what is it actually for? And that's one of the most troubling and unsettling questions for anyone to have to confront and answer, you know, be, because I, I, I say to people all the time, say, well, you know, you're gonna have to dig. You're gonna find. You're gonna have to find out who you are. 
and and who you actually are is not going to be defined by your chops. Your chops can you're now your chops. How well you play is intimately a part of who you are. The degree to which you're able to sit there and apply yourself for hours on end to play an incredibly boring thing, to play it perfectly, to play it well. But you still, you're still going to have you confronted with that question, like, you know, and, and why are you, are you doing it for the external validation? You know, people, you play your thing and people clap and they, they think, you know what I mean? You do the, you know, it's kind of like there's a, you play the impossible thing. No one, what, you know, and there's an industry of, of, of that, you know, of just playing the impossible thing that no one else can play. And, the, and, the, and I get there's a satisfaction, but that's not, that's still not asking, that's still not answering the question. And that's not to be anti-chops, not at all. That's not the point. The point is, who, what do you, the, it's so much, it's, it's really difficult. There's a lot of badasses. I mean, we have a, a battalion of badasses. A badassery. <laughs> Bad, the badassery is, I'm stunned every day. Like, I look, go down to YouTube, I like, holy shit. I see so many people, so like, holy shit, right? Well, the thing at the end of the day is, what's the context? Right, of course. What's the context? Is there a song that frames frames what you're doing? You know, like I, I always go back to Pop Staples, you know, because I know Pop Staples, you know, respect yourself, you know, playing his little Telecaster, you know, and it's 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 perfection. It's perf- you know, it's and and that's and how many people are aspiring to that with their guitar? You know, I mean, people are aspiring. To be phenomenal, I want they want to be seen as phenomenal. Like the idea of being understood and recognized as some kind of savant or genius in your time. Well, how many people are willing to be Van Gogh? Right, really? right. Like I mean, I mean that to say, how many people are going to willing to go to whatever down whatever rabbit hole and be? Find their essential self and 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 put that out there for good and ill, whether people understand it, whether they get it, whether they don't get it, whether they applaud or they don't applaud. You know how, how many people are you know are willing to be Albert Eiler? You know what I mean? How many people are really willing to do things that are like head scratching? And, and I mean that to say. You know, it could be you could play very conventionally, but your songs are bananas. You know, the, your thoughts are bananas, right? And people could say, "Man, that's just weird. That's just what you know." Hendrix, you know, was rejected by a lot of people. He was rejected by a lot, a lot Absolutely. of folks, you know. And he was incredibly misunderstood by people. You know, like some folks, you know, in the black community, you know, they thought of him as a white boy. Right. And it's like and I, and I and it was like he was so black. He was so black that certain people missed it. Like ain't nobody trying to be a white boy is coming out with anything called voodoo child. 
That's not happening. You're talking about, you're taking it into the swamp, right? So he got a lot of who he was got, and then people, certain people picked like Ernie Osley, God bless him. Ernie Osley, he picked up on it, you know, and he helped that sound to survive. Steve Ravon picked up on it. Frank Marino picked on it. Robin Chow picked up on it. And they, what they did, all those players, what they did was they brought it into their, into their thing. So you could, you, so hearing Jimmy's influence doesn't diminish what they do. You know, the, the, the ecstasy of influence, you hear it. You hear it clearly. When you hear Steve Ray Vaughan, you are hearing Albert King and Jimi Hendrix. You are right. hearing right. it. Right, it's, exactly. It's, it's in your face. But what's more in your face is this kid from Texas. You're hearing Texas. You're hearing Steve Ray Vaughan as much more than you're hearing his influences, even though you're hearing his influences. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating about that about that about the experience of a Steve Ray Vaughan because he he's unabashed and he, and his self he himself is the dominant voice even hearing the things where he's coming from it's amazing to me it's amazing you know so being influenced is not the problem but i think a lot of people avoid who they are I think a lot of players avoid who they are and they get they get caught up in the in, you know there's influence but it's like you're not going to be you're not going to be Alan Holdsworth. You're not going to be you know you it's like what are your what are your processes? What are your natural processes? What are the things that you would play regardless? That's got nothing to do with your favorite guitar player. Like, what's you for real, for good and ill? And my main thing with even talking to people and even with myself is getting deeper into the thing that you are. Because the thing that you, who you are, you know, maybe no, maybe everybody's not waiting, saluting your flag, right? So, right. and and a, a lot of times, you know, you get these books where you people want to run away from who they are. They want to run away. They want to find the other thing. They want safety. Even though we're all doing, we all ran away to join the circus and we're doing the most dangerous job in the world. It's crazy what we do, right? Not the most dangerous. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not right. like, it's not like, you Life know, and uh, limb are not at, uh, at risk. You know, it's not, I mean, we're not, <laughs> we're not the bomb disposal squad. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to be frank, right? right we're not the right, bomb right. disposal squad. But, um, you know, it's kind of like the person that's in the bomb disposal squad. It's like, why would you do that job? How would you get good at that job? If you if you make a mistake, right. you're toast, you're, right? You're donezo. Yep. So, so, so that idea of somebody that that's their calling, that they want to make people safe, and they want to look at the device, and they're actually looking, saying, "Man, how did this? How did this so and so wire this?" Like their fan, their, their, their thing is like, hmm, okay, the clock's what? Okay, so, okay, so that relay is, okay, that, that, okay, where's the power supply? That, that's and they're doing these calculations really quickly because they're fascinated. They obviously they have a calmness of mind to approach the bomb and go, okay, we're gonna snip that term, we're gonna snip it over there. Okay, pull that down. And we're gonna do that. Like, 
you know, why would somebody climb K2? Well, I gotta, they got to do it. Right. I don't get that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Why would you, you, the suffering? Well, you know, again, in order to do, to really be with the guitars are endlessly frustrating. It's a kind of a nightmare, beautiful. It's a, be- it's a beautiful nightmare. You know, it's, it, it is, you're never done. Well, there's no doubt. Absolutely. But, but, but the positive side of that is you're never bored either. You well, know, it can be bored though. It can, guitar can get very, very bored. Like certain things, like playing certain things over and over again. Well, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. But, but you know, the thing about it is the whole thing is to do these things, you know, trying to take in new information, trying to do these things in order to let all of that go and to be in the moment of the music, to be in the moment of the, to be in the moment of the music, to be in the moment of the music is like sports, like a, it's like a sports metaphor. Like you, like you dribble, 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 dribble. You go to the Safari, you shoot the ball into, you shoot the ball. You know, the only way you're going to get good at foul shooting is you have to stand there and shoot and do the thing. And you notice certain players are not good at the line. They, they, you know, their thing is not that. So, you know, they're going to go and it's like, it's going to be, if they go up, you know, it's 50-50 whether or not it's going to be a brick. And other folks, you can tell, they just go up. There's no anxiety. Doesn't matter what the crowd waves. They, you know, because they've done this so right. often that it's just like, oh, the ball's just going to go where I put it, right? And you can, and mind you, you're in the NBA. You're amongst the best of the best, and you suck at the foul line because it's it's like it's like it's never been your thing. Your thing is something else. Your thing is the three point. Your thing is under the basket. Feed me the ball. It's going in. But when you're at the line, you're not good. And this is a thing, right? Like everybody, you know, like there's so many things. That's the beauty of guitar. Nobody plays everything. Nobody plays everything. And. Why that is, I mean, you have your polymathic players, your John Fives that play everything, seem like whatever, you know, it's like, but you don't have to be that. You know, that's the fascinating thing about, about the instrument is that you just have to be you. You just have to, you just have to get to that place where you're you. Now, if you're a studio guy, you, that's a different scenario. If you're, if you're working for yourself and you're doing your thing, that's what you, if you're in the other field, you got to play on people's records and you got to be up on trends. And well, that's a different kind of information that you got to take in. And it's a different scenario. Right. Well, what kind of stuff are you working on these days? I mean, is there, I mean, what, what has been your kind of journey from like, did you study properly back in the day when you were young? Are there things you kind of practice, or do you just kind of go with the flow at this point and just kind of make up stuff as you go along? And I'm and- kind of going into a. I'm I'm kind of in a. Um, so I I had teachers. I I didn't go to. I mean, I did a little time in the Brooklyn Conservatory. Very little time. I, I had great teachers that I you know their their lessons that they you know Bruce Johnson. Our rest in peace, and Rodney Jones. Uh, and Rodney Jones is phenomenal jazz guitarist. Uh, he's played with Maceo Parker for a really long time, and um, and a lot of the things that they taught me helped 
break me out of certain kind of patterns and things, out of patterns. And you know, I'm still learning how to play guitar. There's still things that things that I want to assimilate. That I, there are things that I want to execute. I'm kind of in a space where I'm trying to engage with it every day and do certain there are certain things because there's a certain in order for me to play say play with living color I have to be able to execute these tunes you know and I also am I want to I want to actually be even freer in the sense that you know, like when I'm playing like a song like Middleman, it's essentially a C minor blues. And there are certain patternistic ways of doing that. And and they're and they're and they're cool. And there's certain way, there are certain places on the neck you I can find myself just going because they're go-to. Now, if I'm if I'm <laughs> if I'm shedding or if I'm sitting in my room, I play all kind of amazing other different shit. You know, I play all kind of amazing. Sorry, excuse me. What's the okay? Anyway, so there's all kind of so so. What I want to do is crack that that space between from the things that I am possible to play, really interesting, different sort of things, and then the things that okay. When I play the solo, I this is where I I go I, in the certain narrow confines. Certain narrow fingerings that always work. And, you know, it's a, just another song in a set. But every time, but again, every time we get to play, there's an opportunity to play or approach things in a, differently. And this is one of the most challenging things if you've been playing the guitar for a certain amount of time, playing a piece for a certain amount of time. You know, there's a, there's a kind of comfort zone where you kind of stick more or less to certain things. And I think that this is, you know, common. And, and I want to be able to, in the moment, get to more of the things that is possible. So I'm, I have to preface this because I come from more of an improvising tradition because rock and roll is also, rock and roll is funny because rock and roll is like classical music. You know, it's it's people play the same solo all the time. They play the exact same solo. And that's never been that that has never been my trip. Yeah, I, I, that's weird to me, too. I, I I mean, I get it from the point of view of like a, <clears throat> if a solo is like a composed thing and it's integral and it's more of like a melodic thing. But, you know, as we were mentioning earlier, <clears throat> Hendrix or, or Zeppelin or, you know, Almond Brothers or Cream. And they, you know, they never played the same thing twice. That's no. where I come from. Uh, yeah, every, exactly. Yeah. You know, so then, so then having said that, at the same time, having never said, played the same thing twice, I will find myself, like when I play cult, there's a certain kind of interval skipping thing that I do, right? It's one of the prominent things that jumps out in the solo, you know, where I'm skipping from the G to the G to the E string, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And um, and that's kind of like from, like, you know, that's like a fragment of, like, you know, intervallic designs from Joe DiOrio, you know, that, that, I mean, again, you know, like, you know, there's certain canonical texts 
You know what I mean? Right. Like Ted, Ted, you know, uh, uh, Mick Goodrick, the advancing guitarist, you know, there's certain canonical, you know, uh, Randy Vincent's got some amazing, you know, about the drop, you know, um, the voicings thing, his books on voicings are phenomenal. Um, Ted Green, of course, you know, it goes without saying toward chemistry and single note playing, but also, you know, uh, intervallic designs is, I mean, is one of the, that's a super important it's a tome, you know, in terms of thinking differently about the instrument, thinking differently about tonal organization, thinking differently about where you can go with it. So that that bit of string skipping in the cult solo, that's really directly, almost directly out of Joe DiOrio. And, and, you know, I almost inevitably play that. Play this one thing. I play all kinds of other stuff, but this one strength skipping thing that's that is always a component. Sure. Whenever whenever I play it. So, because it was a moment where I was available to something that I learned in the moment. Like when I played in the studio, I was actually not thinking consciously of it. But I was somehow available to something that I learned. And and now I go, well, damn. I could do that same thing, you know, with, you know, in different parts of the neck with different intervals, you know, and and I almost inevitably play this one passage because I dig it. But I'm also going, you know, I wanted, you know, I wanted to get that thing and move it around a taste or or think about it in other contexts. And this and this is a funny um it's a psychological thing because even if you're improvising, you also can find yourself playing some of the same passages in, in the same spots, even though you're not playing, even though you're not playing rope, you, you can wind up playing some of the same passages in the same spots in your tunes. So it's like, so the cha- so one of the challenges uh, is like, okay, so how do I get, I don't want to get away completely, but I want to have the freedom to move away from it. I want to have the freedom to make other choices as opposed to, okay, we're doing this, you know, you're doing tour, you got a a bunch of shows to do, and here comes Desperate People, and I'm going to play something like what I played last night. I kind of want to not do that. Even, Even if I want to be like, okay, even if I, I want to feel as if, even if I use some of that phrasing that I'm not chained to it, that I'm actually making choices in the moment as opposed to, well, this is what I do here. It's, and, and it's kind of like, like tapping or sweeping or any of the discrete techniques. Um, I go through, I can go through, I love tapping and you know do, do sure. my own little version, version everyone's got yep. their own version of tapping right it's a, it's a beautiful thing i can you know on the one hand i dig it but i wanted to if i wanted to show up naturally as opposed to oh now i tap now I right tap. i got it yep you know what i mean or this is where i start and then it becomes like you know what i mean and um but i can go for days without doing it I can go for days without 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 doing that. So the thing is, over time, in your own vernacular, you'll have things 
that you, you know, like little phrases, little techniques, little approaches that are part of your personal repertoire. It's part of the thing for me is expanding this personal repertoire and um, having access to the things, you know, approaches, phraseologies and things that I already have, but may, like, how can I have myself open blank, tabla rasa, prepared, hands ready to do, you know, ears open, hands ready to do the things and also have also the forbearance to not do the things, right? To not have to blaze at all times, right? Because that's also, a, that's, you know, I don't want to necessarily have to feel compelled to play. Right. Well, you know, I always make the analogy of just the, you know, you're, it, it's, it's like speaking. It's like, it's, you know, music is communication. So you have your repertoire of things that are you, but you always don't want to say the same shit over and over again. So, you know, you have your million dollar words that you use for special occasions. And when you're in a certain, and when you're in a rarefied situation, you, you want to sound a little bit more, you know, erudite, you, you let the good times roll, but sometimes you want to just sling the hash and swear like a sailor. And then there's that as well. So I saw B.B. King one time open for Miles Davis at the Beacon Theater in New York City. And um, B.B., as we all know, knew, played over 300 shows a year. And he had, you know, he'd go up and he'd, he'd let the good times roll, you know, get Lucille and do his thing. And, and, and a lot of his shows not ought to denigrate at all, but a lot of the shows were entertaining for kind of for tourists on a level, the blues tourists, right? He was an ambassador, right? So I'd seen B.B. play, Mr. King play a few times, and there was a double bill. It was B.B. King opening for Miles Davis. And Mr. King, at the start of the show, he said, "What man? It is a great honor to open for the for the to open for the great Miles Davis." And he and he proceeded to singe the paint off the walls. I mean, he was playing Charlie Christian type of stuff. Oh, he yeah, was absolutely. Wa- he was wailing, wailing. It. I was like. Holy shit. Like he, I mean, he was not, it was not the BB King that you saw on TV variety shows. Oh, I get it. And I'll tell you, man, and Miles, Miles came out and I tell you, it was fantastic, but it took, it took about two, it took about three, four tunes before that mystique. (laughs) It was like, BB went and, you know, he kind of set the stage on fire. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of people don't understand, you know, uh, you know, BB, of course, all the stuff that everything you can hear Clapton, even Johnny Winter do. I mean, he would speed him up. But all that stuff BB did first. I mean, he has this pretty huge vocabulary. And as you said, a lot of times 
when he's playing for the civilians, he, you know, he just sticks in that one zone and does his thing and it's perfectly musical and great. But I, and I'd, I'd seen him many, many times as well. And I remember one particular evening, his voice was, wasn't quite up to par. So he played more and he did all of that. So he did those kind of Charlie Christian Django-isms, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it was like, the, it, it's, it's there. It's always there, you know? It's, and, you know, it's, it- it's amazing. It's like, oh, y'all don't know about me, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah man. Uh, you know this. It's um. Yeah, it's something about man seeing certain performances and certain performers, and just experiencing. You know, I remember seeing uh, Weather Report. Uh, they were on. They were on the um, the eight thirty tour. On the tour that became, they were like touring on heavy weather. And what was crazy about it was Birdland had actually made it onto the pop charts. I don't know if people remember. Birdland actually, and I think it might have went to number one. Birdland, I remember like Casey Kasem's Coast to Coast played Birdland. Like, it's like, what? You know, and Jocka was such a rock star. I'm telling you, he was so beyond. It was. I mean, there's a lot of hyperbolic stuff said about Jocko, but he was touched with a certain kind of greatness, for real. And seeing him again, at the Beacon Theater where I saw Santana and so many other artists. He was in this, it was not just the zone of the music, it was like the, it was like the spirit of the times, almost. Like he, at that moment, in the 80s, he literally was the instrumentalist that so much of the, weirdly, of the culture of jazz and rock, you know, kind of pivoted on this cat. Right. That was the thing about it. Some of it was, you know, a certain kind of hero worship, but it was just real. This dude, it was, this cat was... And and it was just, inc- I mean, it was this incredible thing. It was also even like the lights hitting the bass and the lights of the bass were like going all over. It was it was this magical, crazy moment. And, you know, and there's a certain feeling of privilege to be, wit- to witness something of what that is, you know? And that's that's the other thing of what, you know, um, of, of performance can have this element of real magic. Real magic. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you because you're an East Coast 
individual. And uh, I, I just discovered this guy, I think it was a few, maybe three months ago. Someone on Twitter said, hey, have you checked out this guy? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I did the deep dive and, and I was blown away. And I thought, and it, it depressed me um, because I had, you know, for whatever reason, in my purview, I just was never, I just never heard the name, never, you know, read it in, you know, in any circles of where to connect the dots to. And I thought, how could someone like this exist and not and 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 not be known? It, it was uh, Jeff Lee Johnson. Did you have any encounters oh, with yeah. him? Oh yeah, man, Jeff. Yeah, and Jeff then, Lee then, then to find out that he'd been dead since like 2013, I'm like, yeah, how is how is this possible? Because the world is, um, because this is the world is ever thus. I mean, the greatest. The greatest, and you pick the genre, you know, pick the, you know, for me, I, I could name, you know, Jeff Lee Johnson, Arthur Rames, Ronnie Drayton off the top of my head, like three players who inhabited the instrument. They inhabited it, you know, Our, you know, Jeff Lee Johnson, I mean, he was, I mean, thank, thankfully, he there are records, you know, and right. his tunes are killer. His voice was his killer. His tunes, his voice, his tunes, his approach. I mean, he played with Ronald Shannon Jackson after I had played with Ronald Shannon Jackson. And he's just um, and he was a friend and he was a, a mentor and a just a I mean, he's like my holy shit, this dude's he's a phenom. And um and it's the unfairness of the world. The world is you know, Franz Kafka on his deathbed told Max Broder, his best friend, you know, take take all my no all the nonsense I've been writing and and burn it. And 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 thankfully, you know, and in order, you know, Max Broder defied his best friend's wishes and the world is a richer place for it. You know? Um, you know, because nobody nobody was checking for Franz Kafka. And um, Jeff Lee Johnson, I mean, he's, you know, like people talk about the greatest you never heard. And, you know, I mean, even people that we know about, Sean Lane. Sean Lane is off the planet. You know, and Sean Lane, you know, at least got some form of recognition. You know, Jeff Lee should have gotten much more than he got, but... There are records where you can hear, and there's there and there are live performances where you your jaw will drop. He's, he's right. It's insane. What I love so much about him, though, is that he, you know, when you're listening to the stuff, it's just these are my tunes. This is how I play, and I am not coming to you. You're coming to me because this is what I do, and that's it. And I and that is my favorite. Because so many people are like, what can I do to to become this, that, and the next thing? And other people go, this is what I do and eat shit. You know what I mean? And not, oh, yeah, not, well, that's like well, that's like mono neon, right? Like mono neon yeah, yeah. right now is, I mean, he's like if you took Bootsy, Jocko, and Hendrix on the bass. Like he's a he's a lefty. You know, I've actually had a the been blessed to play with him with DJ Logic and Daru Jones. You know, I've done a few things with them, right? And, uh, you know, Daru, who plays, also plays with Jack White. And he's, he's, he's just, 
It's, he is so relentlessly himself. I mean, he's exactly exemplifies what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, before Prince passed, Prince, there was, it was inevitable that Prince was going to find Mono Neon. It was inevitable. And they found it because he just, Mono Neon, out of Memphis, he's just cutting his own path through the world. And you can get hip, or you can not get hip, but he's going to be Mono Neon. Your comments don't mean anything. He's doing his thing. And, you know, I, 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 again, constantly I think about, you know, my one of my heroes, Arthur Rames, multi-instrumentalist. There's very few, there's some, there's a few YouTube videos, but his guitar, he played saxophone, very influenced by Coltrane. I mean, of the post-Coltrane, he's the, to me, the greatest of the post-Coltrane cats on horn, like ridiculous, played piano as if you took McCoy Tyner and John Coltrane. Like he's piano playing is, but his guitar playing, you know, he was influenced by Ma Vishnu and he had a band called Eternity. And I encourage anyone to go and find, you know, the, 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 there's a few YouTube videos, Arthur Rains and Eternity. And it's, um, you know, he started out as a Johnny Winter clone, you know, back in the days. And then suddenly, you know, the inner mounting flame came out. And that he went down this rabbit hole with that, and 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 in fact, he came out of it with such a his again like a Steve Ray Vaughan, but just but like hyper kinetic fusion, but but with so much fire and so much passion, you know. So these um, when I I, I uh, consider these players, you know, and Ronnie Drayton, you know, who we lost. Um, in 2019, I mean, uh, and, you know, from played with Nona Hendrix for years, a remarkable, remarkable lyrical guitarist. Um, you know, there's a, a song, he, he played with this band called The Family Stand. There's a video of him playing this song, playing The Education of Jamie. Like, I would suggest go on YouTube and check that out. It's his soulful, remarkable, original people and um and you know this is a crazy thing some some of us you know we've gone on our journeys and we've gotten to a place where people know who we are they know the work they become familiar fortunately this this whole form the podcast thing like the media thing has opened up to create wonderful opportunities for us to have a conversation and be to play talk to your other guests about the state of, well, you know, the state of the world as reflected through the, our, our chosen instrument, through the guitar. And, and all of the things are are there, you know, all of the, you know, guitar can be, I mean, all you got to do is make your own noise, make your own thing. And to the degree that, you know, if you're nice, you know, mazel tov. But if if your thing is something in process, there's nothing wrong with that. If your thing is in whatever state that it's in, you're working it out, what have you. Well, we're always becoming, right? And, the, and it's really just about the degree to which all any and all of us are willing to apply ourselves to whatever the issues are, technical issues, 
you know, whether or not you can read music, whether or not you can hear, you know, things, whether the degree, the degree to which you have a command of the theoretical components. Well, it's a funny thing, you know, like, I think about my friend Ben Maunders. Like ben Maunders, like, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. Ben Maunders, harmonically, the one of the most, you know, him and Wolfgang Muthspiel, you know, the, the harmonically extraordinary, extraordinarily advanced. But it don't have to be that. You know, think about Dwayne Allman. Dwayne Allman, I don't think Dwayne, you talk about talk about Lydian to Dwayne Allman. He was just looking at you like, I don't know. If he, I mean, he might have been, you know, he, but he, I, I suspect he was like, what? <laughs> right. Because, you know, I just bought a record of his last performance. There's a record of his last performance with the Allman Brothers. Right. You know, before the motorcycle accident. And man, I tell you, that Scottsboro Blues. Right, right. Ain't nobody messing with that. No. Yeah, Nobody's messing with that. His slide playing, you know, there's Oh my god. It's it, what's so great about him is he was fearless and but it sounded vulnerable because sometimes the intonation would just be it curl your toes, you know what I mean? That's it, it. That's it. Yeah, and and that's the thing and we need we need that vulnerability to come back into guitar playing. We never, you know, too much to what's happening in the in the culture of the guitar industrial complex is that we're trying to create invulnerable bulwarks. <laughs> right i can dig it yes right yep. and the invulnerable bulwark unfortunately like the Maginot line right you know all the germans do they just went through the forest not right. me. Exactly. so so so, it, so that Maginot line is not gonna really work you're gonna have to confront your parents divorce you're gonna have to confront your best friend's death you're gonna have to confront you know like you know, dropping the 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 the, the past for the for the for the for the game. You're gonna have to confront all of these things. And if you're a guitar player, that has got to get into your playing. That's got to get into your playing. You know that. You know you're not you're not talking. You're not playing a blues about a broken heart from a woman unless you're gonna access something you don't really want to access at all. But what you have to do it. You have to you have to do it. And you know, and chops saying and chop and, and building up chops to avoid. See, chops is a as a because you're fascinated, whatever. That's dope. But chops to avoid playing about the breakup of your set with your second wife, the breakup with your second wife, where she took half your shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. put an order of protection on you. Like, and you're a guitar player, that has got to come into your bends. And your hammer-ons and your slides. If it do, if that doesn't show up, you know, you're you're in bad faith. I think it's it's possible to be in bad. It's easy to be in bad faith with the guitar because all you gotta do is play fast, play clean, and you can be in total bad faith. Some of that stuff, man, you got to go where you don't want to go. And all the other and you have to, the chops have got to be bent to that. Right. Absolutely. So this old Mose Allison song I, I, I rediscovered a while back, and it's my favorite lyric of all time, and I think it's the perfect attitude for all of the above. It's like, don't worry, nothing's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. 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 Um, you know, I want to say, you know, there's a been, you know, on Twitter, as you know, 
You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about Clapton, you know, and certain things that he said, you know, like that he went down like a, it's it's kind of coming back now because he's got this whole anti-vax thing that he's doing. And it's funny because now it's gone back to talking about his support of this right wing. Yeah, Enoch, I mean, whatever his name Enoch, was. Enoch Powell. Yeah. Enoch Powell, right? And not only, it's kind of like if you go back to certain things that he said, he actually was at a performance. He says, you know, is there anybody here, you know, he said, Ray, if you're not from the UK or whatever. And, he's, and he was like, Ray Shane says, I, I want y'all to leave. Y'all should leave right now. And it's like, wow. Now, the the main thing, you know, and people are holding him, his feet to the fire because of the racism, and that's necessary. My only reason I bring it up is a lot of people in discussing it, you know, they come at it, well, he sucks. I never liked him, blah, 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 this, that, this, that, and the third. For me, it's kind of funny because his playing was very important to me. His playing was very important to me. His playing, his playing, particularly on, you know, particularly uh, Sunshine of Your Love, Badge, and, and White Room. I would be disingenuous to, to say that, that his playing didn't have a profound effect on me. So all that to say, what I feel particularly is a huge amount of disappointment. You know? Yeah, it's it's hard, though. I mean, because when you figure, I mean, like, just take a band like Cream. All three of those guys were assholes of the highest order. I mean, you, you I mean, Jack Bruce, I mean, was, I mean, I've just heard countless stories. I mean, yes, could they be charming? But it sounds like, as a rule, they felt that, you know, they had uh, potpourri coming out their asses and everyone should know about it. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's funny. I spent a lot of time with Jack because I played with him. And That's right. You did play with Jack. Yeah, I did. You played with Jack. And, and the thing about Jack, and, and it's, it's a thing about Clinton, he's Scottish. He's not English. Right. Of course. Yes. And that, And that's a very... That's a serious distinction. And he's, I've had situations with Jack because I loved him. You know, I had situations with him where we had to, we had to have words. Sure. We had to have words. And the thing I loved about Jack and other people had other experiences with him for sure. But you know, we would talk man to man about things. And I, you know, like I I respect him as an elder as a and he's a, as a star, but there were certain things when they went down, I said, "Jack, we're not going to do this. We're not doing that." And Jack gave me the respect to to engage with whatever the issue was and we were able to resolve it. But, you know, from from like a spectator's point of view of just hearing stories and, you know, and I had some experience with Ginger and I got along with him. OK, but, you know, he we all know what Ginger was like, you know, <laughs> but but the point is that you can't I mean, the music itself, though, it's like 
I'm sure you've had experiences where you've met like people you've really looked up to and they were shitty. And then that affected the way you listen to the music. But then at some point you got to go, no, well, that mu- the music is separate from the person because they're just that's something that they're responding to and, and playing out. And th- that that is sacred. You know how they are as a person. That's their own shit. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean, part of it is, that, you know, some people are to have checked out some of those comments from back in the day and they're and they're there some folks are like I'm I'm done other people they put the asterisk and you know for each person they've got to you know they got to deal with it how they feel right it's, I mean yeah, you know I mean, honestly you the separation of course a lot of the blues guys you know this, these were dangerous some you know some of them were sweethearts but a lot of these guys were dangerous bad men I mean T-Bone Walker is a total sexist I mean T-Bone Walker Keep on walk out of tune. The woman is a devil. She will trick you if she can. Right. Well, they, I think that whole generation, I mean, of, of I mean, would all be canceled. I mean. Yeah, you know, and, and fair enough, if you want to take a different stance on it, you know, T-Bone Walker though, was the architect of a certain kind of guitar showmanship. Like, the, you know, like, like that, like that's the Jimi Hendrix. He got that from T-Bone Walker, right? And, you know, there is that. It is what it is. But at the same time, Ike Turner was monstrous. Ike Turner, you know, is a genius. But, you know, there's a there's a, there's a a Netflix, there's a um, documentary, a Tina Turner documentary. And when you see the still photographs of Tina Turner from around that time, this is a woman living in abject terror. Right, of course, yeah. This is a woman living in abject abject terror for her life. He oftentimes came off the stage with Ike and was like, he's going to kill me tonight. Right? And that, and that can't be, and, and, and at that level, um, that can't be swept under the rug. I, I agree. You know, there, I mean, again, you know, there's, there's the, you know, there's the ne'er-do-well and then there's the abuser, right? There's the, okay, okay there's the, oh, put a black mark on it, on this person's name because they did whatever. But then there's like, you know, it's like, you know, like, I mean, I you know, like, what's love got to do with it? The theatrical film, you know, that was a great film. But when you see the document, when you see the look in Tina Turner's face, you can't run from the fact that this woman was on a nightly basis was terrified of her husband. And we got to deal with that. And and he was a phenomenal producer and, and innovative, but we can't get away from the fact. You know what I mean? And whether that means cancellation or whatever, but it is like, once I got really hip to the stark reality, it's, it's made me, it's weird. It's like, okay, so innovative dude but not a, not a good person not right. a good person right you know like we 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 have to deal with the fact you know that Phil Spector is a murderer right it was a, it was a, i mean i mean and and he was that gun was going to go off he he brought guns to sessions he put guns on the mixing table you know what i mean this is the dude that produced imagine right, right? <laughs> Irony of ironies. You know, this is the dude, like, everybody that wants to have that moment of inner peace and tranquility, we put on Imagine. 
But the dude that produced that murdered that actress. And both things, the, the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance exists. And yeah, and, and the, the Clapton thing is interesting because you, you, you to your point, you, you do have the people like, oh, I never liked him anyways. And or they'll say something like, well, Peter Green was better or, you know what I mean? They go, they go immediately go to these cheap shots. And it's like, well, you know, the guy said horrible stuff years ago. That's unforgivable. So did he come out and say that he was sorry? There's really no evidence to say that he did. And then, you know, so you have that, and then you have him taking a stance on this stuff. And, and But, of course, a lot of that has been taken out of context if, in terms of, of this and the next thing. But it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's strange times. And then people want to politicize everything. And uh, it's well, it, just— it, We want to get away. Well, see, the thing is, as I said earlier, you know, boy meets girl. It's political. Does the boy have a job? Right. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I mean— you know, not to politicize everything, but there are things that, like, you know, he got everything that he has from black music. Absolutely, no doubt about he, it. And the, and the and that's the part that's the part of it that stings and is, you know, when when he says when he said, you know, I want the Jim Wags and the Jamaicans out. I shot the sheriff, saved his career. Hello, exactly. So, so, so the in, so just the level of sheer ingratitude is staggering, staggering. And that's the point, you know. And that's you know, it's not even to get into a labeling thing per se, but it's you know, I shot the sheriff. That was that that was happening. He had covered that tune when he did that thing in our, in our power. He had covered that tune like a year or two before. So it wasn't ancient history. It was right there. And he's talking about Jamaicans get out. You know, my fa- my family is from the Caribbean and they left. They left. I was brought up in Brooklyn. I, they left. You know, I was so when so I take it. So my own stance on is like, you know what? If my parents had not left, he'd have been talking to my parents and talking to me. So it's not abs. It's not. It's less abstract and, and less about name calling, but about you know he was talking about the people that came to London to rebuild London after World War II. This is about colonialism, right? And and it's about a colonial sense of being English. That's what animated his statements. Right. I I get it. And they you you know anyway. I, I know, get but, it. You know, but at the same time, I, 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 you know, I tap my toe to lay down Sally too. You know what I mean? You know, but it, 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 but both things are true, and both things, you know, are just there. They are. And then there's another aspect to it as well: is that you know, you know, he is a sober guy. You know, he works a program. You know, and there's and there's all of that. So certainly, that's a huge thing. And and certainly, I think you know, I. You know, you heard you hear the term, you know, dry drunk. You get a little maniacal when you're when you're not, you know, kind of in the right mental space. Yeah, and but that, dr- and, drinking, and, drinking, drinking, don't drinking. I know plenty of people that are drunk. That, well, that no, I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse but, but, but the but, I'm not trying no, to excuse the No, you're not. No, you're not. And, and also, you know, he's had tragedy. I mean, he said he lost his son. He's had tragedy in his life. I'm not going. You know, that's you know, it it's all of a piece. It's all, all of a piece, and um, you know this is. 
It's funny, man. I used to love Johnny Cash, you know, because Johnny Cash was 100%. Johnny Cash, every time I saw Johnny Cash on TV, I felt like that's a real dude. <laughs> you know, he ain't faking for nobody. He ain't, you know what I mean? He's, he's, um, but all accounts that I've heard, you know, he was not down with the racist scenario at all, right? I've always heard that he was, you know, um, positive, you know, but he would, he fought, he also had problems with drugs and alcohol too, you know? This is, I mean, and that's why his version of hurt, you know, when Johnny Cash goes, I hurt myself today, you feel it from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. That's, right? That's what we look for, right? That's real. You know? It was funny. I went to see the um, Cream reunion shows. And I was, like, White Room and um, Sunshine Bill, they were, they they weren't, mm -mm, they were, they were, I was like, they were okay, right? But it was it was when they did Monday, uh, Stormy Monday Blues. They did Stormy Monday Blues, and that was the first time in that concert where, where Clapton came on the guitar. He came for real. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. We, I've, you know, I've talked about this many, many times. Just the the idea of you know the, the guy that existed up until 1970 was gone after that. You know, so after his. You know, he still, you know, as you said, wrote, you know, great tunes and performed great and this, that, and the next thing. And as you said, Lay Down Sally, whatever you want to say. But certainly, you know, the, the 24 Nights record at Royal Albert Hall, there's all kinds of cool stuff. But the 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 intention, the kind of knife to the throat, you know. Uh, oh, that just, ended with Layla. That ended with Layla. Exactly. That ended with Layla. And the only mm -hmm. thing, I, one of the things I never understood, and again, you know, Eric's, you know, everyone's their own person. They got to go through their own stuff. But, you know, you look at your past of what you did and you're like, yeah, I don't do that anymore, but I can do it every now and again just to give a nod to who that was. Or maybe I'll do an impression of what that was. But there's almost like I don't even think he gets what was so cool about what he did back in the day. You know what I mean? I think he thinks, oh, no, that was that was just a young kid jerking his gherkin. I've developed into this much more mature statesman. Sophisticado, whatever, you know. Well, the blues is something that's, blues is not something that, that happens at a remove. You know, that's the thing. The blues, for real, it's, it's become a kind of cliche, but when the blues is in the room, everybody knows what it is. When the blue, when the blue, you know, when the blue, you know, you can go to a whole festival and the blues, you know, it, it can be all a series of just, just like metal, just like everything else. When when that chunk is happening, it, it is what, you know, that when that chug is happening, it is what it is. When the blues is in the room, when that swing is happening, it's it is what it is. When the heads are nodding and the beats breaking, it is what it is. That's the thing, that's the thing, the versimilitude, the the, the real thing. When the real thing is present, and a lot of times, man, what we settle for is all right. What we settle for is all right. The one thing I will say about the Living Color band experience, whatever, was that we're always, we want it. We try to be available for the, for the real thing to happen. 
for the real, real time thing to happen. And this, we've been playing some of this music for a really long time, like a lot of bands, you know? But when it's, you know, we can play, we're never, we can be in a subtle out of sync or we can be totally in sync. And when we're totally in sync, it is what it is. It, it, thank you. It is what it is. When we're in totally in sync, and Corey's, you know, and Corey's taking the crowd to church, and 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 Doug is taking everybody into outer space on the low end, and Will is just beating from the beats are coming from the earth, you know. When that's happening, <coughs> it is it it becomes the whole of it becomes the thing. Well, I I. You know, I was just actually earlier today. I was watching a thing that you guys did in Poland in in uh, 2016. I was watching that show, and that was rocking. And then I watched just some excerpts of of this year. It's like, it's like you guys haven't missed a step. I mean, in Corey, I mean, his voice sounds fantastic. It's insane. He's a he's a much better singer than he was back then. He's much. I mean, Corey Glover is he's the most reluctant frontman I've ever experienced. He's incredible. He's incredible. One time, I'll tell you what, he, uh, back in the days, you know, we were playing, we were at some kind of mall and Corey was trying to go to the Gap and a bunch of girls started screaming and it freaked him out. <laughs> <laughs> he won't, he won't, he won't like that I told that story, but you know, there it is. Well, I remember he host. He was like an MTV host for a while. Oh yeah, he was a VH1. We don't we don't talk VH1. About there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was yeah. bummed I didn't see you guys open up for the Stones because I went to the Alpine Valley show and we got there late because of the traffic and I saw the helicopters taking off, taking you guys away as we were yeah, making yeah. our way to the show. Yeah, that was wild. That was a that was a wild. That was um the last time I saw Bill Graham. That's the last time I saw Bill Graham because he was, because he did the the show in San Francisco, you know. It, it was a it was a powerful, yeah. Stones, man, they were, uh, yeah, they're you know, amazing, amazing institution, you know. I mean, they they had been twenty five years in when we played with them in eighty nine. You right. know what I mean? Right, right, right. So, so it's uh, yeah, Steel Wheels, man. I, I say, man, uh, Char- uh, Charlie Watts. You know, rest in peace, man. Because Charlie Watts, you know, was a he was a he was a good egg. He was a solid citizen. You know, he so, seemed that way, and he played great right up to the end. I mean, he, oh my God, yeah, yeah, man, he's good. He's good. He's a good bloke. You know, we actually did a show together at at Rock Palace. I don't know if you remember. This is probably two Rock th- Palace. This is probably two thousand four. We didn't actually meet that day, but I remember I talked to Doug. And because we played earlier in the day, but it was in, um, uh, I'm trying to think what town it was in Germany. Uh, Rock Boss is not Berlin. Uh, no, it was in, uh, it's in, it's in the West somewhere. I'm trying to think of the freaking town. It's escaping me. Um, I don't know, but I remember, uh, we played earlier on and, and then I talked to Doug a little bit. You guys were going on a little bit after us. And, uh, but that was back in the day. That was probably 2000 and, Four, maybe. So, I know. wasn't the future wonderful? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here, here we are. Many yarns ago, I actually was. Uh, I actually had hair back then. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> 
But it is wild to just keep on keeping on. You know, I don't know what you were all doing. Um, we should probably wrap it up here quick, so I know you probably got to go. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting now that uh, shows are kind of coming together again. But did I, I always like to just ask this question of uh, of folks of during COVID, where everything shut down, and you kind of have, like the whole world did, you kind of have to reanalyze, okay, what am I doing? What do I want to do? What, you know, what don't I want to do? Did you come to any kind of glaring realizations of, of career-wise or just personally what you want to do going forward that was different from before the Cove? Um, yeah, you know, there there's different things that I, I, I actually went, you know, because I've been a photographer since the since back in the eighties, whatever, and um, and I'd exhibited in the nineties, whatever, and I and I actually went and all over New York City taking photographs during the shutdown, and um, you know that was you know like I want to put out a book of of some of the photographs, um, yeah, man, uh, it's made me uh. I mean, it's 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 funny because it made me think that we're all interconnected, even though it's affecting us all differently and everyone's taking it differently. But our industries, our things, you know, what we take for granted is that, um, you know, things can be interrupted. You know, things can take a things can take a turn. Things can take a serious turn, and um, and it makes the ability to do this even more uh, precious, really. You know, it really makes it a lot more, uh, a lot more precious. And this, and this, um, no, there's music to be written about what this is, you know, from a lot of different angles, from a lot of different places. And, I'm thinking that hopefully by the springtime that that this will start to recede. But, you know, um, you know, we kind of can't like I I think there's a sort of willful pretense. It's the only way to function is, okay. this is going to be over soon. And. And I think it's going to be over soon, but. um, it's a real one never knows. You know what I mean? It's a very unsettling and also connecting. It's important to connect the people that you care about because, you know, we we lost Living Color. We we lost our our first sound person, uh, Judy Marinas. We lost her to COVID complications. You know, we, we lost um, the trumpeter Wallace Rooney, you know, who a great trumpeter who had sat in with us on a couple of occasions, you know, and um, that's just important to, you know, to recognize the fragility that we're, you know, we're all interconnected, like, you know, also like appreciate the things we have and, and, you know, like, we all want to get the latest stuff and the latest this and latest that, but you know, it's like, it's interesting, this whole supply chain thing. Right. It's supply chain is is fascinating because think about it. Products are being advertised as if you're going to get one. 
And it's like, actually, you know, the whole Nam boogie, it's an empty box, right? It's an empty, you know, so they, they show you this is going to do the thing that's going to do the thing that's going to change the thing and then help you out. Well, now those things may be delayed. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. it. it those things may be delayed. So so it makes, it's, it's almost like a reevaluation of a, things as well as health, as well as the possibilities of the unexpected, you know, like making the most of the, of the, you know, of the stuff you got as opposed to like, okay, going to automate. Oh man, this is the latest. Blah, blah. Well, you know, people are saying, you know, do your Christmas shopping now, because if you're thinking about shop, you, you know, that is not going to be where you think it is. Right. You know, so yeah, so those kind of things are, you know, are, are are but really more 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 than anything else connected with people. Another thing too, I've gotten to to do some kind of in, independent film documentary stuff, and uh, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for for the opportunity to work on uh, my my particular director, Brad Lichtenstein. You know. Um, uh, He's a good egg. <laughs> He's a good egg. He's a good egg. And uh, we just finished a film called Messwood. And it's about um, it's about a high school football team in Milwaukee. It's good. It's a good little film. I'm in Milwaukee. Are you? I am. Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. 371 Productions out of Milwaukee. No yeah. way. Wild. No. That's wild. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, a bunch of his films, you know, we have a film when Claude got shot, which is about gun violence in, you know, it's it's a film about gun violence in which nobody died. But everybody's been impacted, you know. And uh yeah, so this so, so, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brad is a good dude. It's a great, you know, Milwaukee's a great state. It's got its, it's got its issues. It's got its issues. Yeah, I don't no doubt about it. But it it's it's uh you know, it's uh, it's one of those places where it's um, you get a a big city vibe without all of the horrible things of a really big city. I mean, there's plenty of you know, but it's it's you know just not as exacerbated a million fold. But um, anywho, anyway, that's where I that's where I grew up. That's where I stayed. Dog on it, and it's right in the middle. It's right in the middle of the country, so I can fly anywhere. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thanks so much for taking time. It was great talking Frank, with you. It's a real pleasje, bro. Likewise. Pleasure. Hopefully we'll uh, cross paths again in person one of these days. I look forward to it. I Likewise, my friend. It. All right, take care of yourself. All right, now. All right, bye-bye. You do the same, man. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Chewing the Gristle. We certainly do appreciate it. On behalf of Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and our friends at Fishman Transducers, we say, don't be a stranger now. Keep on coming back. We're going to keep on giving her. <laughs>